This call is being recorded. That sounds very ominous. Um, <laughs> so, hey, thanks everybody for joining today. We're we're very excited to have you all as a part of the MOOC. And uh, Nick is with me, and I think Jorgen's going to be coming back from dinner soon, and he'll be joining us. Uh, Jorgen is in Amsterdam. Nick is in New York, and I am outside of Philadelphia today. Just to kind of give you a little overview of what we're going to do on this call. We are going to uh, give you kind of an overview of where we are uh, within the MOOC. Um, we're going to talk, uh, Nick and I are going to talk specifically about some of the stuff that we're working on in prototyping uh, for Lincoln Center and uh, how that kind of works into the goal of the overall MOOC and how we're treating it as a kind of a forked project. We'll be answering any questions that folks may have. With that being said, I think maybe just we'll we'll kind of start with a little recap of where we are with like kind of week zero and week one. Within week zero, you guys got, uh, you know, everything's being delivered via email. Basically, uh, with week zero, what we were doing is getting everybody in and onboarded. Uh, you will receive uh, weekly emails. Uh, they are from MailChimp. For anybody that has Gmail, you know, as uh, Michael had noted to me, you want to make sure that you add uh, the MOOC email to your contacts. Otherwise, it will always show up in your promotions folder and you might miss the email. The emails are also always archived within the Baker Street Irregulars Facebook group and they're also archived at sherlockholmes.io. So uh, that's a good way to catch up. In addition, we're experimenting this time with kind of leaving the MOOC open. We're gonna see how that works. People will be welcome to kind of come into it at any point through uh, the six weeks. So that's part of the experiment too. So if there's anybody that you come across that hears about it from you and they, they seem interested, you can let them know that they're welcome to come in at any time. And, and that's part of the experiment as well. A big thing for us with this is decentralizing the MOOC, you know, and trying to make it so uh, folks are... What we're hoping it can become is more of a peer-to-peer, -peer, more of a horizontal kind of learning environment. There's some amazing people from all over the world who are participating. We know that there's a lot of wisdom that sits within the, the participants of the MOOC, and we're hoping that you guys can help each other and, and share your knowledge and resources and so forth and so on. In addition to that, I think the, the other thing that was key within week zero was uh, taking that Sherlock, uh, which character are you? You can find out within the uh, spreadsheet, uh, which you can find within the Baker Street Irregulars Facebook group. Um, and in, in addition to that, what you can do is find the link and you'll see that you could be paired up with somebody else, or you can always ask for a pairing within the Facebook group itself. But make sure you take that test. The test is drawn from something from Telegraph had done a couple years ago, and then we modified it a bit. You can see what character you are. The other thing that we had folks do was we had you do a challenge that was about reading or selecting a Sherlock Holmes no uh, short story or something from the novel, finding an object that you wanted to adapt and turn into a 21st century kind of object, infuse it with IoT, AI, AR, VR, whatever you wanted to do, facial recognition, whatever it is, uh, and you were free to kind of experiment with that. A lot of the idea there was we are going to draw on that later and throughout the MOOC is kind of a repository of uh, Sherlock Holmes-inspired possibilities. 
It's not to say that you have to just work on that. If you want to, you're more than welcome to. But basically, the idea was to help build out a repository that we could draw from that would help to, to have some inspiration that we could go back to. That was pretty much the activity from week zero. Within week one, what we had you guys do is the five times Y exercise, which is, a, which is a, an empathy-driven exercise. And the, and the real goal of that is to have it be introspective. So someone is asking you those same questions five times purposely um, and not asking any other follow-up questions in an attempt to allow you to surface things within yourself. As we go forward in this coming week, uh, week two, we'll be doing an appreciative inquiry, which will be more of a, you know, your partner or whoever you pair up with will be purposely asking more and being more inquisitive in and around it to help surface what is going to be, but it's going to be around a common thing. So that first five times why was really an introspective one. And that's why we asked you to do that and uh, to, go through, uh, to go through that exercise. The other thing we asked you guys to do was uh, kind of Insta Sherlock, which was, you know, kind of a fun way to get you out and taking some photographs and putting down some tape and probably baffling some people along the way, either in your social media followers or also, you know, somebody who is a bystander that saw you taping out a body. With that, we'll continue to kind of build upon that across the MOOC, but it was really meant to be kind of a fun, playful kind of exercise. And hopefully what will happen is you'll see that people will be doing that throughout the, the six weeks as they come, kind of come into the, the experience itself. So that's a very succinct kind of hopefully succinct update on where we've been with week zero and week one. At this point, I, Nick, I thought maybe what we could do is we could just talk a little bit about what we're preparing and what we're thinking about for Lincoln Center mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of talk a little bit about that and go from there. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, think I mean, things have been really moving on the, on the technology, technology side. side, and we've been doing a pretty good job of, um, you know, sort of jamming our way through prototypes. So I'm actually, you know, I think where we netted out in terms of the experience last year was really strong. And I think this year has been very much about trying to take some of the principles that we had from last year around, you know, having a global community and creating sort of seamless technologies to support the experience and giving it a sense of scale from that. I think that's really what we've been focused on over the last uh, few weeks and what we're going to be focusing on over the next few weeks leading up to Lincoln Center. Um, I, in particular, I think that the IoT approach that we're taking now and the, and the work that we're doing with AI is, are both really interesting. Uh, what we're working to do with the prototype that we're building for Lincoln Center is um, we're bringing it in and weaving it into what we do within the MOOC this time, very, very much so. We, last time we did it and we invited people in the MOOC to come and be a part of what it is. This time anybody's welcome to join us and be a part of it. But the way that we're also looking at it is we're looking at it as though like Nick and I are partners going through the MOOC, right? So we want to kind of open up, you know, the, the elements of the process and how we're doing it and some of the things that we're challenged by. We're trying to introduce more of the coding and also more of a, a stronger tie to Sherlock Holmes this time, both in what we're doing at Lincoln Center, but then also in the core of the MOOC. Because I think in, in some ways, you know, and Nick, you can tell me what you think about this, but in some ways we really see the MOOC as an extension of a, a creative community and this opportunity to exchange ideas and this opportunity to have a diversity of perspectives 
that can help us, you know, experiment in a place where there is no set grammar yet. And there's really no best practice yet. So um, a lot of this is really about us wanting to help kind of move the category forward as much as it is about, you know, wanting to create a collaborative space that can allow people from anywhere in the world to kind of step into it and, and fork projects. For us, we're forking the project with what we're doing at Lincoln Center. Yeah, I think that, I mean, yeah, the, spirit I mean of, the spirit of, of Sherlock Holmes and the Internet of Things has always been at the center, center uh, creative, uh, collaboration. creative collaboration. So that, so you that, really that you idea that, that, idea that like forked and blown out in another direction that we didn't intend and that and that other people have run with or that other people contribute to the stuff that we're doing or we contribute to stuff that other people are doing, that's all, I think, like, that's exactly what the spirit has been of the project and that's what everything is built around. So when when I'm talking about, you know, the kind of work that we're doing at Lincoln Center, I see a direct parallel to work that people are doing in other places around the world. And I and what I'm, you know, I think our hope for the MOOC as a whole is that 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 the project that Lincoln Center is one of many projects that are of similar scope that can that could just launch in their in in their locations or in their sense of scale and globalization. And so that we can actually see multiple things going on at the same time. And so you know what we're doing right now on the project is is really kind of a technical prototyping phase that I think is is going to mirror um, a lot of the work that's done in the prototyping phases of the experiences that you're all designing. Yeah, and I think that that's a really important point because I think where we sit right now is we're under certain constraints that anybody within the MOOC would be under, right? In a certain respect, we have a little bit of a lead time because we've been working with Lincoln Center for a while. But at the same time, you know, we held a hack on August 20th, and that hack, um, you know, brought together uh, a group of people. You know, we were kind of looking and saying, okay, we have a day-long hack. What can we do? What can we accomplish within this day? And, you know, we kind of went into it, and we said, okay, well, we have a kind of a working version of the phone to a certain extent. Uh, the code is available on GitHub, and we'll make sure that we share into the MOOC in our own prototyping journal, which Nick and I are working on, which you guys will actually be able to see the first incarnation of this coming week. Um, you'll be able to see what we've been doing and how we've been prototyping it and some of the steps that we've been taking. And then we'll also be sharing some of the code uh, that we have and access to some of the, 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 the repository of where the code sits. I think the challenge and, and some of the things that we're kind of looking through and dealing with is anytime that you're trying to do a collaboration and you're bootstrapping something and it's grassroots and you're experimenting, you're kind of building learning environments uh, for people. You're trying to figure out where it's mutually beneficial for parties, whether that be the partners that you have or your fellow teammates or collaborators. And so when we went into the 20th, we said, okay, well, we, we know, you know, and Nick was talking about this before, you know, sometimes what will ha happen with a hack. And, you know, we knew we wanted to kind of come out of the 20th with a little bit more of kind of a, a, a little more structure on it. We wanted to, you know, get some stakeholders excited about it. We wanted to kind of diversify the team and all those things, all those things kind of came into play. And Nick, uh, maybe you could speak to that, that challenge of what it is to, to kind of go into a hack and some of the time that's lost and, and the way that you look at it. Well, I mean, technology always has this up curve, even if you know what you're doing. And it, it, it's a bit of a cliff, right? Where you have to kind of 
get familiar with what you're working on and overcome it. And I think that hacks are really wonderful ways to get people to do that because it it creates community around it. It creates a sort of sharing environment where people can help each other and you can have sort of like expertise in what's called extreme coding where multiple programmers or multiple uh, technologists are working on the same project at the same time so that there's a kind of mind share around it. So there's a lot of really great things that come out of it. But I think that you always have to be cautious in these environments that there's a lot of ramp up that happens there because of some of the knowledge disparities or simply because it's a social environment. And so, you know, people have to show up and they have to kind of get up to speed and and sort of figure out what they want to do and move. Um, all of that takes away from some of the development time. So I think the important thing about doing a hack is having very realistic expectations of what a hack can produce. Hacks are really good for exploring technologies, right? They're, they're, they're an excellent way to get people to kind of experiment with a technology and start to figure out how it works. They're also really good if you have a very focused kind of small target that you can hit, which isn't to say you tell everybody what to do, but you sort of define the scope of what success at the hack will be so that it's, it's, it's relatively small so that, you know, people don't try to get over ambitious, which is really the danger in these environments is that like, if everyone decides they're gonna just like, like try to build the whole product in a five hour hack um it's just very frustrating for everybody because you know nothing is gonna there's simply going to be problems that pop up in development in terms of bugs or not understanding how certain kinds of syntax works or not realizing that certain hardware isn't going to cooperate the way you want it to and none of those are insurmountable they're all like solvable but they're just not solvable in five hours so what we did was we really just kind of isolated our our hack to kind of two things. One was experimenting with the Bluemix technologies we were working with so that you know people could just get exposed to them and start seeing like, okay, well, what would make sense for us to use and what are easy technologies for people to access? And you know, we're not asking, you know, this as given this is a volunteer um, structure, we're not really gonna push anybody to do anything. So it's like, it, well, what sounds interesting to you? And like, what what would you like to play with? And sort of giving people an opportunity to be exposed to that stuff. It, it wasn't really important to us that we get very far with any of it at all. And I think actually the, the, the materials that came out on the 20th, particularly around dialogue, went further than I would have expected them to. Um, but that's the kind of happy thing that can happen at a hack. Um, the second thing we worked on was really the phone, which is the core project that we've been working on, the red rotary phone. And the red rotary phone, we had some code that had already been built. And this was really a chance for us to kind of like reset the project and, you know, figure out where we were and move forward some of the balls with the red rotary phone that we wanted to. Um, the red rotary phone is an Internet of Things object that's designed to detect uh, what are called beacons, which are Bluetooth broadcasting technologies that are actually quite common in public spaces now, and they're becoming more common. They simply broadcast um, an identifier that's tied to their location. Um, the phone is capable of reading those identifiers, and it's capable of connecting to the internet, specifically to a database, where it can pull information that are related to those IDs, and then it can play audio and record audio from users who carry the phone that can then be used in those transactions as well. And so the idea might be that the phone rings and you pick it up and then you say something to it and then it looks at its database and gives you something back and that the phone rang because you walked to a certain place where there was a beacon. So when the phone detected the beacon, it rang. When you picked it up, it played audio that it pulled from the internet based on where it was. 
Um, none of this technology is is uh, really crazy in terms of what you can do with Internet of Things. It's all like fairly reasonable, but none of it is you know plug and play right out of the box. And so we have uh, been working with uh, several people, particularly uh, Tim, who uh, you know has been helping us with this technology and it's really been spearheading that part of the project. And and really what we wanted to do is give him a chance to sort of work with some other people and like push that whole part of the project forward in a significant way. In addition to that, what we did within the hack was, you know, there's always a balance of people that come into what we've been doing with the project. Some have a technical background, others might not, you know, and we try to make it as open as possible and, and try to balance those things. So we had uh, a group that was working on actually scripting the dialogue for the experience. We had another group that was working on the UX experience for, you know, from onboarding all the way through, you know, what was happening beat by beat, what was somebody thinking, what was somebody feeling, what was somebody doing, you know, we'll often use those as ways to kind of drill down, you know, we'll, we'll kind of lay out the experience and then we'll do a track that says, okay, this is what we think uh, they will be thinking as they go through it. This is what we want them to be doing. And this is what we want them to be feeling right and we'll kind of stack that and so we had a group of people that were kind of working through the user experience in addition to you know folks working on the phone or working on the Bluemix platform as Nick was mentioning and I think uh, to Nick's point you know it is very much a challenge you know when you're wrestling these uh, these projects and I, I kind of talked about this in week one's content it, it is very much like the wilds of collaboration you know, you have different language that people are using, you have people coming from different backgrounds, you're trying to accomplish things uh, with grassroots efforts. There's a lot of challenges to that. But at the same time, there's a lot of really amazing rewards to it. And it creates these very dynamic social environments. And, and, and in a lot of cases, what that can be seen with the, the number of people who returned uh, from year one to year two, uh, which is exciting. And I think the number of people who actually went on to continue producing work even after the MOOC had finished. So I think there's just something really interesting in, in what we're trying to experiment with in terms of this hybrid kind of learning project-based collaborative environment. You know, that's something that's very interesting to us at Columbia University, in particular with the Digital Storytelling Lab. This notion of you know, like what we do kind of monthly at Lincoln Center, where we get a bunch of people together, we'll usually have some type of a presentation or a talk or a panel. And then uh, we'll do some collaborative uh, things and we'll go into an open design session with everybody because sometimes people are really kind of taken back. You know, when we had the hack on the 20th, all of a sudden people were sitting down and they were scripting things that were going to be part of the experience at Lincoln Center. And they were like, wait, we can actually write this. This is going to be part of it. And 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 the whole response back is that, well, it's an iterative process. Some of it might end up being in it. Some might not. It's a 21st century rewrite, and we're inviting all of you to be a part of it. So um, so that's just like kind of a, a little bit of our, our challenge. Like as we go forward, we have an opportunity on September 22nd. We'll see if we're able to hit it. Uh, but we have an opportunity to demo the phone and to do it in a really high-profile way. Uh, at an event that will be at Columbia University, so uh, we're still working out the details with that. But it would put it, it would put the device in front of a lot of people, and so we have a challenge of where we take the device currently, where we take that phone now, and how we get there, and how we get there with people who are kind of coming in and and providing like burst collaboration around it, which is 
which is exciting. So I think like the keys to that when you're kind of trying to build those things is like how can you be clear around what the goals are? How can you communicate? Have the you know have the language or, or figure out a way to document what you're doing so you can efficiently be working with a group of people who are going to drop in and out of something. Yeah, and I, I just want to highlight something that Lance mentioned at the beginning of all this, which is that um, you know we also were doing a lot of design at the hack, and you know you're never doing technology in these early phases without thinking about the design behind the technology. This is something we talk a lot about in in the video content of the course. And 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 really what that was about in this one was, you know, if we're going to try to integrate some of these features of like a more global reach that that AI is supposed to present or a more seamless scaling that IoT is going to present, the thing we have to do first or simultaneously depending on where we are in the project is think through the design of how that's actually going to work right like what you know what is the experience going to be like when that changes so there's a lot of prototyping we have to do that's completely analog and not technology based at all about like well if we have a break so that someone could pull um the phone where does that happen and how do they do it and what should that look like and there's no reason why we need any of the technology to do it we could just have people ask those questions at the right moments. We could have people pause at part of the experience. We could have people walk through dialogue and just read it to each other and see how it sounds. And so all of that, I think, is um, just as critical as the technical development. And so, you know, when we talk about having a plurality of roles at these hacks and that, you know, we're doing work to support them all, it's it's that. Hello, okay. can you hear me now? Yes, we lost you at that tail end there. Uh, ugh, I'm never going to get that back. <laughs> You're never going to get that back. It sounded so good, though. It sounded so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to, I guess to sum it up, it's just that um, there's 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 never technology that moves forward without thinking about the user experience, the design of the technology. And so, so all of those roles are necessary to move this forward. And as you're thinking about your own work, I don't ever really want to see anybody get totally distracted by technology or totally distracted by design. There's a handshake that comes between those two things. And there's a role for everybody in that process, whether it's, you know, testing, whether it's analog prototyping or what we call paper prototyping so that you run things without technology, whether it's um, imagining user experience. There are really critical roles that design plays in all of this and that I think people who have more analog storytelling techniques are actually the experts at and can provide a lot of value. Uh, to collaborative teams. And I think uh, the the last point on this is, I think it's very relevant because what we're looking to get to in, in terms of the MOOC this time and how it's different than last time is uh, one of the goals uh, of the MOOC is to encourage people to fork the project. It's uh, a copy left project, uh, share alike, international 4.0 license. You can commercialize even just the only thing that's asked is that you contribute back to the core with either code or resources or knowledge or whatever that is. And in, in it being open like that, one of the things that we want to do this particular time is we will have people go through a prototyping process with their ideas, which is similar to what we did last time. But last time, people really did it as a, as a design document. This time, we want to do the design documents, but we really want to focus on people trying things actually prototyping those things and actually documenting the prototyping process of, of their work. And so that's a, that's a big difference uh, this time uh, because I think whether it's prototyping an interaction, whether it's prototyping the whole thing, wherever we can get within the six weeks that we have, 
uh, now knowing that we have five weeks is is really kind of the goal. And and by all means, uh, we we hope that people you know have a good time and want to continue to work beyond that. That's that's the ultimate honor or just an amazing thing if somebody decides that they take something and find value in what this is or this collaboration is and they want to continue. That's wonderful. Uh, in terms of the 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 time that we have within the structure uh, up until somewhere around October 6th is that we really want to get you guys to the point of where you can flush out these ideas and do it with a group of really smart people from all over the world. And so that's, I think, a, a nice kind of evolution of last time. Much to the same way that Nick said, you know, there's only so far that you can get in a day-long hack. There's only so far that you can get in, uh, you know, a six-week amount of time uh, and how much you can get done. So we're trying to be realistic about it, and we feel like if we can get really fluid ideas and if we can get some prototyping of those ideas, that we can all learn a lot from each other. And that's, that's kind of where we're headed uh, with this particular, this particular time. I, you know, like scoping is just like a so super hard problem. Like it's just never like really a, a, a good thing to to struggle with because you end up, you know, you you have a dream for what you want your project to be, and you kind of like try to run for that dream, and then at a certain point you realize that like you're not going to make it, and then you don't know what to do because you don't want to half make the thing. And so I really do want to encourage everyone to like think Oops. think of a small implementation, you know. Think of what the minimum you could produce is that would get to the aesthetic experience you want, because that likely will be, you know, like like what you're capable of producing given the time, um, and and then you'll get a fulfilled experience. Um, like Lance said, you can run with this for as long as you want, but it's nice to be able to showcase in the in the parameters of the MOOC like like something that you did that would be really an interesting experience. And so, uh, you know, what's the simplest version of the user interaction? What's the what's the easiest demonstration of the aesthetic you know what 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 can you use that pre-exists or what can you use that you already know how to use that can can showcase like the strengths of your piece like i think thinking like that is just a really useful way to think when you know you have a pretty strict time limit you work a lot with teams i work a lot with teams you know let's talk about some of that process like how let's unpack that a little bit like how we go about that you know how we're kind of rolling into a project how we scope what that project is, how we figure out who we're going to work with. Maybe we can kind of just talk about that a little bit because that, that kind of fits in with like the idea idea generation, the scope of what you're going to do, the, the people that you bring together to help make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing about working with people is that, you know, everybody everybody wants to contribute in a meaningful way to a collaborative project, right? And it's it's an interesting, it's, it's, there's a big difference between when you, when you like employ people and you work with them and when you collaborate with people, right? When you employ people, there's an incentive structure that's there, which is money, right? Like you pay them and or they pay you and you have a contractual relationship and it's very clean, right? And so that becomes that becomes the sort of lever that everything works on. So even if I don't really feel like working today or, or uh, you know, this isn't the kind of thing I always want to do, I have a reason to do it. In collaborative environments, uh, it's different, right? People believe in a project. They believe in the team. They like the people they're working with. They have another kind of goal that they want. Maybe like they have never worked on an interactive project before and they want to take their writing skills and figure out how they work on interactivity or they've never played with a certain kind of technology before and this is a good excuse for them to play with it and so i think the the critical thing that i found in working in collaborative teams is like 
basically isolating the, the strengths and passions of everybody involved in the project and trying to align those as well as possible. I think there's never really a project that gets finished that doesn't have some kind of grunt work that everybody has to pitch in for, but I think people feel much better in collaborative teams when everybody feels like their voice is heard, everybody feels like they have some ownership over the property, and everybody got to work on the on the property in a way that made them feel um, like like they were respected and they had value to the project. I think the, the role that people never want to be in, and especially in collaborations where like really the participation in the project is the reward in and of itself, is they never want to feel like they're just a hanger on or, or, or a kind of extra wheel. Right, like everyone wants to feel like the thing they did had some like major contribution to the piece, and it's not really that hard to do because when you see the team forming and you realize that someone has voice acting talent, or you realize that someone can draw, or you realize that someone knows a lot about you know like physical computing objects, like like you know motor technologies, then you can just find ways to be creative with those things, and I think those lead to the most effective collaboration. So one thing I would say is. Um, you know, look at the composition of your team and, and, and everybody on the team should be making a step to sort of think about, okay, well, what does everybody else want here? And how can I make sure that I'm, I'm giving everyone space to express what they're interested in and, and, and some authority over what they're strong about? Yeah, and I think that the, the other side of it, uh, in terms of the scoping of an idea, uh, often uh, I think the thing that is so has really helped, I, at least in the work that I've been doing, you know, where, you know, I'm, I'm bringing together and, you know, whether it's working in, you know, film, television, immersive experiences, theater, whatever it is, um, I think really kind of diving into the why, you know, a lot of what we were doing in, in the empathy phase or what we were lightly introducing through the empathy phase within that edit process is that notion of taking the time to really figure out why you're actually creating something, you know, why, you know, why you want to do it, why you're doing it, um, you know, can be very different things. You know, there's this classic thing that when you're writing, you know, and I've been a writer for like over 20 years, you're kind of writing, there's this thing of when you're writing, you're writing, there's what the character, you know, thinks they need. And uh, or w that they want, and then there's that thing that they truly, really need that they come to discover over the course of what it is, uh, you know, over the course of whatever the the time frame of that the running time of that particular story is. And I think there are stories to collaborative spaces, and there's stories, you know, there's the learning of, of what's happening, there's the output of what you do, and in the case of something like this, this is really about process. You know, and I think some of those things are, you know, experimenting with different types of process, melding them together, saying this is what's really interesting about agile development or scrum, you know, which are software development techniques. This is what's really interesting that's going on in terms of design with design thinking or iterative processes. And I think in terms of when I'm scoping or when I'm starting a project, I will always kind of start by shaping some type of a design question. I will always look to try to identify those design principles. And I'll spend time really in a design research phase, getting a sense of who I'm trying to reach, why I'm trying to reach them, and also, most importantly, what I'm really trying to say. Um, I had a very transformative moment when I was uh, a part of, I, I, I was fortunate I was able to be part of the Sundance Screenwriters uh, Lab. And I think that that was a very transformative moment for me. And they run really wonderful labs out there. And, you know, I went out with my writing partner, Chuck Wendig, 
and we went out there and, and um, I thought, oh, well, we're going to be writing. And we didn't write anything. You know, it was all a lot of conversation and it was a lot of time. It was like we got to push a pause button and stop everything else. And it was very transformative because of that, right? It was this moment of mindfulness. It was this moment of being able to really kind of sit with it and challenge yourself with the very difficult questions. Um, and I think sometimes with work, and I see this at, at Columbia and I see it in other projects, a lot of people want to just jump ahead. You know, people don't want to take time with design. They want to just jump into making something. And I think there's room for both. And that's what's great about an iterative process. So a lot of times when I'll scope, we'll take the time to really kind of dive into why we're doing it. And then we'll try to build ways that we can, can return and, and, you know, have an iterative process throughout, uh, you know, as we're, as we're working towards whatever those goals are. And I think the other thing is, you know, when you think about scoping in, in groups like this is that, um, you know, it's hard. It, 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 it's, it's a hard thing. Um, you know, on a project like this, that's, that's, that's generally not, you know, people's primary focus to figure out like, well, how much time can I actually spend on this? And like, how much time do I want to? And sometimes people, uh, and I, and this is, I, I say people, and I mean, hear me because this is my problem is that we'll get, um, you know, overly passionate and then try to try to promise to commit more time than they actually can. And that's something I have to check in myself all the time because I get really excited about lots of different projects. And then I want to like, spread myself around through all these different things and it's just at the end of the day there's only you know you only have so many hours um i think that that a good thing to do is you know and it's part of this sort of scoping thing is to get a sense from people like like a conservative sense meaning low like how much time can everybody actually put into this and like how much time does everybody want to put into this and like what you know what 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 do the hours actually look like on the project if you're a producer this is going to come naturally to you because this is kind of what you do every day but if you're not i mean this is literally what producers do is we just sit down and we say okay well you know this person has this many hours and this person has this many hours and i know that this writer writes about this much in this much time or the writer told me that she can write about this much in this much time so i know we can get you know given that she has x hours i just take that times x and then and then you could get a sense of where you want to end up. It's always better to scope smaller because the worst thing that happens when you scope smaller is you end with comfortably enough time to to test and polish everything. Um, or you end so early that you can actually bring in features that you didn't think you were going to actually introduce. So it, it's kind of an interesting thing to do, though, because it's, it's a sort of self-reflective exercise of like, you know, honestly, how much time can I contribute? And honestly, how much can I get done in that time? And I think it's just a useful life skill to have. I think it's something that, that creative people are constantly cultivating for themselves. It's just like a sense of how quickly they work and how much they can get done. And I, I think it's, it's always a good thing to bring into projects like this. And it's really helpful to fellow collaborators when you can be honest about that, because as much as you want to be passionate and you want to deliver and you want to like kind of give this thing your all, if you know you have other responsibilities, it's just better for everybody on the team to know that too, because then everyone has a realistic expectation of how this is going to work. And like I said, if, if all you can contribute is a couple hours a week to the development of a project in the last couple of weeks, that doesn't mean you have no role. It just means we can, we as a team can scope a role for you that makes sense with the time that you have. Those are all really important things to kind of consider as you move forward and as we go forward. And, and we're trying, uh, we're reducing a lot of the extraneous uh, kind of challenges and some of the things that we made the group do last time. And we're really trying to focus in on you know getting to a point of being able to produce something but at the same time making sure that we give it the foundation that allows people to have at least a, a collaborative foundation to work from 
which I think is, is really important as well. Question that came up here earlier about seamless technologies in the, in the MOOC. Uh, what are those seamless technologies that you've developed to support this MOOC? We haven't necessarily developed any technologies. It was more of, about kind of looking and saying, how can we decentralize it? You know, how can we try to find ways that it, it can be more fluid? So one simple thing was, oh, well, let's see if we tap Facebook and use it as a back channel. And I think so far, you know, it's working better than what we had when we had a, a, a turnkey platform, which was NovoEd. And I think because of the mobile fluidity of Facebook and the notifications and the, the common, you know, like the fact that a lot of people use it made it easier. I think MailChimp uh, is challenging in some regards to make sure that people get the emails. But at the same time, uh, it's much easier to put the content together and to have an archive of where all the content is in one place. So uh, from a production standpoint, that's been pretty nice so far in terms of the way to do it. Uh, we will, in week three, go into a really cool kind of prototyping platform. That's going to be an experiment, um, but that platform will, will be where we'll kind of do kind of a marketplace of ideas, which I think will be, will be nice. And then we're just, uh, we're going to experiment with Medium. I think some of all of this is like a test, right? We're kind of testing to see like how, how can you build environments that could be conducive to global collaborations and then maybe on the outside of this we might look and say oh you know what would be so great this part is missing how could we bridge it but i think this time around we we, we kind of got stuck last time with like almost like that swiss army knife analogy you know where uh, the the knife has everything you know so the platform was supposed to have everything and because it was supposed to have everything it was bloated and we spent a lot more time getting stuff into it and a lot more time explaining how to navigate it. And I think in some ways by doing this, we've been able to focus more on like what the core of what we're trying to share is. So um, I think as a result, that, that's made it a bit more seamless. There was a question here about choosing teams or were they, will they be assigned? Uh, you guys will be able to, to select your own teams and they're going to be done through a marketplace of ideas. So you'll be able to select the teams via ideas. And the pairings that you had for this first week, uh, you can stay with those people. You can find new people. It's, it's totally open. Um, and so uh, the goal is to, you know, whoever you guys would like to work with, you're more than welcome to. And we want to try to help provide a way that people can, uh, can communicate easily and, and hopefully find each other. So that's, that's kind of how we're doing it. But it's going to come off of a marketplace of ideas. So really your teams will start to form Week three, you'll be generating the ideas. Week four, five, and six, you'll be kind of testing and prototyping them and going through some of the edit process again. So that's kind of the idea. I want to thank you guys for participating in this call. We, we have people from all over the world, which is really cool. And, uh, you know, Nick, thanks for your co-hosting with me. I appreciate it. You know, if you guys have any questions or need anything as we go forward, you know, just ping us on the Facebook group. That's the best way. The Baker Street Irregulars group is the best way to ask for help. And we'll be doing these calls weekly, um, you know, every, I think every Sunday from three to four uh, up until the end of the MOOC. Um, so it'll be a chance for us to kind of share where we are with our prototyping process, what Nick and I are doing at Lincoln Center and also talk about some of the challenges that we're facing, uh, not only with that, but, uh, you know, maybe some of the things that we're seeing within the MOOC itself. Um, but yes, we intend to release the recording so everybody can hear. And if you get stuck and you're trying to find somebody to partner with, um, you can always ask somebody else who's done the five times why. 
you're more than welcome to do it more than one time and actually encouraged to do so because it helps you to meet more people within the MOOC as well. So, um, yeah, that's kind of all I have. Uh, do you have anything else, Nick, that you'd like to add? Nope. Thank you all for for listening and taking part in the chat. And thanks, Lance, for, for uh, organizing this and uh, for the conversation. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll be, uh, we'll be typing at you guys. Talk soon.